Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thank you for listening to the Late Breaking F1 podcast. Make sure to look out for new episodes every Thursday and Grand Prix Sundays. Hello and a very warm welcome. This is your What the Hell Was That Grand Prix, also known as the 2020 Italian Grand Prix. Pierre Gasly takes his first Grand Prix victory ahead of Carlos Sainz in the McLaren and Lance Stroll in the racing point, all three claiming their second podium finishes. No Mercedes or Red Bull in sight. Pierre Gasly taking Alpha Tauri's second victory in F1, technically speaking. Uh, their first one, of course, coming from Sebastian Vettel at the same circuit 12 years ago. Absolute elation, jubilation for Gasly. And guys, Harry, Sam Sage, are you still with me? Are you still breathing? That's going to... Croydon are going to hate that in a minute. I'm having a, I'm having a great time. I said to um, Sam before he came on air, getting out on you and start recording, that the last 10 laps I was stood up in front and Sam said he was doing the same. I just stood up watching the race and didn't realise it until we got to the end. And I was like, why am I yeah. Why am I standing? Yeah, why Why have I left the sofa? And why am I three foot away from the TV, intently staring at it with my hands in the air, not really knowing what I'm doing? Wonderful, wonderful scenes at Monza. Thank you, Monza. Thank you, Monza, indeed. You you overtake Baku in the uh, thanking circuit <laughs> uh, category. Um, what a what a race, particularly after it looked like it was going to be a fairly standard win for Lewis Hamilton, that safety car. Like you said, Sam, definitely on the Christmas card list is Kevin Magnussen for causing, uh, for causing the safety car. Um, and then Charles Leclerc for causing the red flag. Absolutely epic Grand Prix. And it's appropriate that you started to sing the national anthem, Sam, because we tweeted out before the race at El Breaking, if you want to get involved there, we tweeted out that, at the beginning of the race when they were doing the Italian Grand Prix, that that would definitely be the last time that that would be included in today's affairs. Apparently not, of course, with Alpha Tauri uh, finishing first place. It played on the podium afterwards. We're going to, of course, be discussing what on earth that podium was. But as well as that, we'll be looking at Mercedes race. So Hamilton ending up recovering to P7 after taking his stop and go penalty. Bottas only P5 in a race where Hamilton couldn't uh, finish on the podium. Alex Albon couldn't even get past the Williams guys and he ends up finishing P15 and he drops two positions in the championship as a result of that. And of course, Ferrari at their home race, uh, pure and utter embarrassment for them, two retirements for the team. But first, we will discuss the race review. What an absolutely epic Grand Prix. Pierre Gasly taking the victory. Sam, if you wouldn't mind, just taking us through your emotions as we were entering the end of that race? Well, <laughs> um, honestly, what are we even doing here? Oh, I got out in the street like it's the World Cup a couple of years ago, driving around <laughs> screaming the national anthem of Italy out my car instead of the British one. That was honestly one of the best moments I've seen in racing for a very, very long time. 
Um, so many reasons for happiness. Alpha Tauri, 100% deserved. Their car was set up brilliantly today. They played the strategy blindingly well. Of course, you don't know there's going to be a red flag, but they started and pitted at the, the, just the perfect time. Brilliantly done from Pierre Gasly and the team. Um, Carlos Sainz, you know, good for him, getting a second place in Goat Scroll, rounding out the podium. I, I don't think I've had that reaction to a, a race end. Maybe since we ha- maybe since before Germany, actually. I don't think even Germany with that craziness gave me the same reaction as what that did. Um, Pierre Gasly has had such a strange, like, character arc whilst being in Formula 1. He's had such a strange development, you know, coming in, impressing massively uh, at Toro Rosso when it was Toro Rosso, getting moved up to Red Bull. The absolute stick that, yeah, we gave him, the rest of the F1 community gave him, Everyone, including his own team, gave him, shunts it back down. And now Pierre Gasly has won as many races as Red Bull have this season. Just open the door, hold on. What's, oh, there's a sink. Let that one in there because uh, you need to settle a little bit at how good Pierre Gasly has been this season. Uh, he's been pretty much my driver of the season so far, anyway, other than Hamilton. Uh, the staffing's up there. But my God, has Gasly really turned a performance in that car? The fact that we obviously we lost uh, Antoine Hubert is incredibly close to Gasly, one of his closest friends. And how he gets to go and do this at Monza with an Italian team, obviously the scenes are just wonderful. I am ecstatic. It's like the rest of the F1 community said, can we have a race where Hamilton, Bottas and Verstappen aren't the podium? And Monza went, okay. And it happened. And it was brilliant. And we loved it. And I want it every week. Thank you very much. Brilliant. Do it again. Yeah, and that that redemption arc for for Pierre Gasly is quite incredible. You have to consider a year ago he's dropped by he's dropped by the Red Bull team after a very difficult first half of the season. Antoine Hubert dies at the very weekend that he appears for for the first time for uh, for Toro Rosso and now Alpha Tauri. And since that point, he's enjoyed not only his first podium and is now enjoying his his first win. Just an incredible comeback story. Harry, what what did you make of that Grand Prix? I would like to cast your minds back to the 2001 Italian GP. No McLaren finished. The highest Jordan was a 70-year-old man called Jean Alesi. <laughs> and then the highest Minardi was 13th and last by some unknown Spanish driver called Fernando Alonso and then today all three of them were on the bloody podium what on earth has just happened I mean it's not even Alfa Tauri's first time on top of, on that top step at Monza they obviously just love it there but um, yeah uh, uh, Brund, Martin Brundle said a lot at the end of the race is the sort of race F1 needs and it's right because sometimes we do have to endure slightly dull races but then it's absolutely worth it for for races like those because that is literally what f1 is all about it's those underdog david beats goliath moments which this was and it wasn't even just like one person on the phone the whole i mean mclaren underdogs they've had a couple of podiums now but still they've had a tough few years so this is another great result for them and then the same for racing point too that's a completely midfield podium which you'd love to see um and i would just like to send out my uh, personal thanks to kevin magnuson because without him none of this could have happened you know we we did our preview um our preview video and podcast as we always do and I remember saying in that when we were predicting our poll one, two, three, that I went a little bit too bold at Belgium. So I'm just going to tone it back for Italy because it will surely just revert back to Hamilton, Verstappen and Bottas. And then that will be that. I've never been more happy to be completely and utterly wrong. Um, (laughs) Goodness me, that was such an epic Grand Prix. Um, I I don't even know how to respond to it. Pierre Gasly... Of course, he did get slightly fortunate due to the strategy. He pitted on the very lap that he needed to just before that safety car came out. And but, but at that point, you still have to execute it. And he did. He managed that gap to Carlos Sainz so spectacularly well. Um, and just, I mean, shout out for Carlos Sainz because he must be going through what can only be a whirlwind of emotions right now because he's ended up with his best finish in Formula One history um he's going to a team next year where he might not have a chance at a podium at least that's how the lay of the land is looking at the moment and he can't he can't be jubilant about it because he was so close to getting that first place it was his first first real opportunity so 
Yeah, great. And, and Lance Stroll, obviously, rounding out the podium. I, I was thinking back, and I'll be interested to learn what you think about this and indeed people uh you know listening along and watching along on on youtube i think this might be the worst car to win a grand prix since giancarlo fisichella won for jordan back in 2003 i know obviously tour also won in 08 but the car was pretty handy i think it was slightly better then than what the alpha tauri car is now i think this could be the worst car to win a grand prix in about 17 years which just yeah, and I'll be interested to know if somebody thinks uh, a, a worse car has won since that point. But what an epic race. What an epic race. And the ironic thing is it was looking like it was going to be a bit of a dull procession after about 10, 15 laps. So, yeah, well done to Pierre Gasly and um, enjoy the moment. I'm sure he will. I'm sure he will. Um, I mean, Sam, what, what did you... Did, about Lance Stroll here, because he ended up on the podium. It's his second career podium. But arguably, when he was starting from second place on that restart, and he got away with not having to take a regulation pit stop, we know how good he is at starts. Do you think this is a win thrown away for him? Oh, I mean, the racing point, okay, is not as strong as we thought it was. Let's get that out there. Yes, the car is definitely better than it has been in previous seasons, but it is not a regular podium finishing car that we said it was going to be after maybe the second or third race of the uh, the season. The car is good. And Lance Stroll at starts is one of the best in the field. I mean, I can't believe that Goat Stroll is actually one of the best at something, but he genuinely is one of the best starters in the field. And if you were ever going to have a perfect start, that was really the time to make it happen. Um, and it fell away from him. Now, the car we saw with Sergio Perez, you know, you could barely say in front of Hamilton, he didn't even finish inside, you know, the top seven, whereas Stroll was the one up there fighting. Um, I take my hat off to Stroll for a very strong drive, and I think we've overestimated just how strong that car actually is. But it's not like the Alpha Tower is much better anyway. Yes, in a straight line, it seems to just be a little bit of a rocket for some reason, but Gasly did what he had to do. Sainz got a shifty on and did the right thing at the right time. And the radio came over at the McLaren team being like, you know, take your time, take your time. And he's like, no, I've got to get past Stroll. I've got to challenge the front. And he did the right thing because Stroll never really got close. Um, I was hoping that Stroll could have been closer to really make it spicy out of the top three there. I did expect a little bit more from Racing Point. But at the same time, this is their highest finish in that, and that current branding, in that current Racing Point team. This is their current highest finish. So, yeah, I, yes, they definitely had the chance to win it, but I'm not going to be too harsh on them. Long Stroll's really come a long way. He's scored the only podium they've got so far this season. He he beat Sergio Perez today. So, yeah, I, I am happy with how Racing Point turned out. Yeah, and obviously Lance Stroll deciding that the breaking point going into the Variante della Roggia is actually two metres after the corner happens, which was interesting. But he <laughs> at least God, recovered from that. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. I, I think the breaking point is just a little bit before where you think it is, Lance. Um P3, Harry, for, for, for Lance Stroll, do, do you think that's a bit of a disappointment considering the position he was in? Uh, I think he's, well, he said he was a little bit disappointed with it. Um, I don't think the racing pub was particularly competitive this weekend. I know Checo qualified P4, um, but at races what we've seen in the past, well, they have been really competitive, like high-speed tracks like Spa and Monza. This new, this new pink Mercedes, whatever you want to call it, doesn't seem to be quite as quite as good. Um, yeah, I was so, I thought, because Stroll is so good at starts, I was convinced he was going to mug Hamilton off the line when he was literally lined up on the front row. So I think he'll be annoyed at the fact he didn't make the most of that. But um, look, I mean, he can't be too upset. It's not often that a podium comes around. And to be honest, I think that racing point should have been on the podium sooner this year. So I think they'll still happily take P3. And I don't think, I think, I think the McLaren had the edge over them, hence why Sainz is in front. But you know, he was faster than Norris in that second half of the race. So um, I don't think uh, Stroll can be too disappointed with it, to be honest. It's a tough one because it's likely going to depend how much he regrets. This is going to be dependent on how good that racing point is going to become, and how you know what Aston Martin are like next season, providing he is there at the team racing. Um, I think it will be largely dependent on how many more opportunities he gets to win races because you don't get many of them. 
Um, you know, if, if you're in Hamilton's position or in Verstappen's or Bottas's position, yes, you get regular opportunities. But if you don't find yourself in one of those teams, then then these shock victories, they only come around once in a blue moon. Uh, you know, we, we don't know how the careers of Stroll and Gasly and Sainz will pan out, but it wouldn't shock me if for at least one of those three, this proves to be the only chance they ever get. So, you know, if Lance Stroll gets another race like this later in the season and takes a victory, it's, it doesn't really matter that much. And even if that happens next season, it doesn't matter that much. But if it turns out that the Aston Martin isn't as good as what the, they would hope it is next year, and if, you know, the, the, the cost cap doesn't have the, the benefit that Racing Point and Aston Martin will hope, then, then maybe Lance Stroll rues this day because um, I really think he should have won this race. You know, he had a great opportunity. He was he was somewhat fortunate that he was the only car that didn't pit. And if that was a call, by the way, by the Racing Point strategist, that is the best strategy call we've had in years. Um, yeah. I, have no, I have no idea if that's the case or not, but he, he was he was left in a great position. Like like we've already said, his starts are so so good. Um, and he really needed to take advantage of that when he had the opportunity. And, and rather than he could have just held position and that would have been fine because obviously Lewis Hamilton's coming in at the end of that lap anyway. But conceding that position to Gasly uh, and then conceding the position to Sainz as well as a result of the error. And I, I think he understands as well. He's he's under no illusion that this is on him. This could have been his very victory. Um, hope, hopefully for his sake he doesn't end up regretting it for a long time um, because it was a massive opportunity. I mean, such a chaotic race, it's almost very difficult to pick a driver of the day and worst driver of the day, but we're going to do it anyway. Sam, driver of the day, who are you going for? Well, Pierre Gasly gets a driver of the day, but uh, and I don't need to explain why. The man made my heart sore today. It was genuinely wonderful seeing him stand on the top spot. It was such a lovely redemption moment for him. Such a nice tribute to Antoine Hubert and a great moment for Formula One fans. Second place to that. Uh, Lewis Hamilton absolutely dominated throughout the first half of the race. The red flag came, you know, it was a mixture of himself and a team call that got himself a penalty, which is a tricky one. You got caught out on that one. But then he proved that that car can overtake. He proved that he could take it to the rest of the field and get through them. You know, he was on a warpath and every single chance he got to make the move, he made the move and he got his way up there. And because of that, Bottas is still 47 points behind Lewis Hamilton. He gained 13 seconds to Bottas since the red flag period stopped after taking a, a penalty that cost him 31 seconds. Honestly, that was a fantastic turnaround, I think. I think that he has once again made the most of a terrible situation. But of course, Gasly for me takes the top spot. Harry, what about you, driver of the day? Yeah, I kind of look past Gasly. Um, yeah, he they struck a bit of luck with when they pitted and when the red flag and safety cars came out. But, um, you know, he... They they beautifully executed the 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 hand of cards they were dealt, and they could have easily he could have easily dropped back and not and not won that race, but he did. I think there were potentially faster cards behind him that he didn't let pass. So yeah, it's got got to be Gasly for me. Um, I'm uh, as epic as Gasly obviously was. I'm going to disagree. I'm going to go Carlos Sainz as driver of the day, even though he couldn't get that last overtake done. Just because Carlos Sainz did a wonderful job before the red flag and before the safety car period, um, I, I think he would have finished P2 regardless uh, of whether that came out or not. He did a great job at the start of the race to to, to get ahead of Valtteri Bottas. Um, and he was comfortably quicker than Lando Norris in both stints. Um, he opened up that gap. Lando Norris was was consistently defending from behind. Carlos Sainz was able to open up a few second gap. Like I said, I think he would have finished quite comfortably P2 if it weren't for for the red flag. Obviously, he has to contend with it anyway. He goes down to, I think, about P6 or P7. Um, he ends up making progress. He gets past Kimi Raikkonen and he gets past Lance Stroll. He was very clinical on both occasions. And he did a good job of eating into that gap that Pierre Gasly had. Ultimately, not quite there. But he did a good job of narrowing that down from four seconds to just a few tenths at the flag. So uh, as good as Gasly was, and I'll probably put him second place here, I'm going to say Sainz was driver of the day. And worst driver of the day, Sam. Uh, this is tough. This is tough. Um, so many great performances. It's hard to look past two people. And it's the two people I seem to always be bringing up. And it is Bottas and Albon. Albon, who managed to hold off 
Lewis Hamilton for the longest amount of time out of all the cars that he cut through, which shows that that Red Bull did have some pace, was then stuck behind the Williams cars for the entirety of the second half of that race. He finished 15th. The only person behind him was Giovinazzi, who couldn't catch him due to the stop-go penalty and would have finished in front of him. So Verstappen retired. Albon theoretically finished last because the only reason Gio was behind was due to a penalty. Um, Bottas, yeah, he might have had a little bit of damage, but it just shows to me that he hasn't got that racing prowess to make something work. You need to capitalise. This is the kind of race that we literally discussed in our race preview. Lewis Hamilton does not have a bad race often. And he didn't even have a bad race today. He was dealt a crap hand due to a penalty on a ruling that is really hard to follow. And it was a mistake by both himself and the team. And that is when you need to look at this and go, we are faster than every single car in front of us. Lewis Hamilton is in last place. How often do you hear the words, Lewis Hamilton is last and he's driving the car. He's still in the race. He's last and you can't even finish on the podium. That was your time to get back in this championship fight. And you didn't make it work. So I'm going to say because his car was broken, that Bottas isn't just the worst driver of the day and Albon is, but those two, they need to up their game. What say you, Harry? Worst driver of the day? <laughs> uh, I'm pretty much in agreement with Sam there. I think probably Bottas gets it for me. Um, yeah, I, I feel like his head just dropped after that start. It was an appalling start, again, all down to him. And, and uh, he was just kind of out of position and just got knocked about by all the other cars around him. But even then, he still has the fastest car on that track. Uh, he should have got his head down. I know they have cooling issues in that Merc, but yeah, he can't help what Hamilton does behind him on his on his you know comeback through the field. But on the evidence of Hamilton, that car can still cut through traffic. So Bottas should have been able to do the same. And yeah, Sam said he should have capitalised on a on a day when Hamilton didn't score many points. Um, yeah, but I think it's got many points either. And uh, yeah, that lead is only 47 instead of 50 now. Um, yeah, it's got to be Bottas. I just think just think his head dropped too much at the start of the race and he never he never reset from it. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to go for someone else. I think the worst driver of the day was Charles Leclerc. Um, yeah, the first stint he struggled with tyre wear. He lo- first of all, he lost the position to Kimi Raikkonen and couldn't keep up with him, which was disappointing. He he then struggles with tyre wear. As far as I'm aware, no one else did, really. Um, and he has to come into the pits very early. Um, and and then he and then he drops it. You know, when he was uh, when he was in a reasonable spot. And um, yeah, it was a pure driver error on, on Parabolica to go straight into the barrier. Obviously, great news that he ended up okay because it was an almighty hit. Um, but Charles Leclerc, yeah, struggled to manage the tyres on that first stint uh, and then had the crash. So I'm going to pick him. And what about, well, a moment of the race, I guess. It's difficult to look past one moment here. But Sam, what 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 did you think of moment of the race? Well, it's, yeah, you say that. It's hard to look past that moment where Kevin Magnussen blocks the pit lane. <laughs> I mean, but equally, the moment with, um, with Charles Leclerc hitting the barrier is as important because if we didn't have that red flag, a lot of those drivers wouldn't be in the place that they were regardless. We would have had a safety car, yes, but the likes of Gasly would not be where they were at the start of that race. The likes of Stroll would not be where they were at the start of that race. They would have been passed by people. Um, and because of that Leclerc moment when he hits the wall, Hamilton has to serve his penalty the moment that the race restarts and he's got no time behind him. If, if he had managed to have a normal safety car period, they got going for a couple of laps and then he'd been given that penalty and then he's got another couple of laps before he can serve it. He might be able to rack out a 10 second lead. He might have only fallen back to maybe seventh or eighth and he could have possibly come back through, overtaken Bottas and been into the top four or five. Those two incidents there, it shows you how incredible it could be when just something sparks off a little something else. And now the biggest thing I think actually is when the commentators, Crofty, Brundle, whatever, were saying, we want a qualifying race, a reverse qualifying race. And I think they got themselves a little bit hyped up. But if it could create something as exciting as that, then I'm willing to give it a go. Whether it does, I don't know. But there's no harm in trying something different. No doubt we'll be having a discussion on that at some point. Um, moment of the race for you, Harry? Uh, yeah, I can't really look past K-Mag breaking down on the pit, <laughs> pit entry. <laughs> that, that kind of changed the face of the race. And I know, as Sam said, obviously... Charlotte Claire's crash and the red flag changed it again. Um, but that was the catalyst for the complete carnage that in, ensued after that. Um, so, yeah, as I've said already today, Kevin, 
Thank you very much. You brought the box office to this race, as you always do. Yeah, box office Magnuson proving his worth there. Um, I'm going to slightly cheat because I'm going to pick a moment that happened just after the race finished. But for me, the the, the moment of, of the Grand Prix was when Pierre Gasly got out of his car. He celebrates with his team members. And then the amount of drivers that came over uh, and celebrated with him, the likes of uh, Romain Grosjean and, and Charles Leclerc all, all going over just to sort of offer their congratulations. I, I just thought that was a really epic moment. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick that. And Sam, I mean, you've touched on Valtteri Bottas already um, in terms of it being a something of a wasted opportunity with, with Lewis Hamilton only finishing P7 and picking up seven points in the process. Bottas gains points, but it's only three points that he gains overall. Um, yeah, do, do you think this was a massive wasted opportunity, Sam? It might be one of the most wasted opportunities we've seen in Formula One in this era, I think. Uh, when you know your car is that dominant, and your teammate, who is the best driver on the grid currently, and one of the best drivers in the history of the sport, gets relegated to the back of the of the pack with no advantage coming his way, where it's proven to be a little tricky to get past some cars. Well, it was proven until he turned up and overtook everyone. Um, this is the point where Bottas needs to pick that head back up and go, hang on a minute, Christ the Redeemer, you looking down on me here? Have you blessed me? Because this is the moment. You had that awful, awful start. His head dropped. And then he gets that break, he gets a red flag, he gets a moment to pull himself back together again. And he can go for it here. They replaced parts on his car, he got fresh tyres, it was all going his way. That was the, the catalyst that you need to then kickstart your race again. And he didn't move up a single place other than Kimi Räikkönen, who dropped pretty much outside the point. So it's not good enough for Bottas. The fact that going into Monza, Hamilton was 47 points clear of Max Verstappen. Leaving Monza, Hamilton is 47 points clear of just a different driver. It doesn't mean anything. Nothing's changed at the top. Hamilton is as comfortable, it's as likely to win the championship as he was before this race. Hamilton's dancing around in his little pit garage. Like, hey, look at me. I'm going to win again. And Bottas is crying into his porridge. Minus, version minus 3.217. Bottas is... Is, is ruined any chance of an absolute championship fight. I mean, it was gone, but this was the one chance he could have taken and he didn't take it and it's ruined it for everyone. Well done, Bottas. My son's crying and we're having a bad time. But get someone else in that car. I've had enough of him. Well, that went as well as I expected it to. <laughs> Harry. <laughs> Harry, what do you think? Was was this a massive uh, opportunity wasted for Bottas? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I can express my feelings as strongly as Sam did. But yeah, Bottas is gonna is gonna rule this this race as a he had a massive opportunity to to to, to gain some points on Hamilton once that penalty came in, and he, yeah, he I said it already, he just didn't reset. He didn't reset in that red flag period. He didn't reset after he had dropped all those spots at the start. Um, yeah, uh, and you know, I, th- I think the championship's probably already a foregone conclusion. But yeah, Bottas isn't helping his chances in in any way, shape, or form. Um, yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I feel sorry for Bottas, and I shouldn't because the man's got the fastest car in the field. Um, I just, you know, you could, he's a he's a bloody quick driver, and he can. He's always on the wrong side of Hamilton in quality, but it's only by the smallest margins for a lot of the time. And there aren't many people in the world that can do that, that can push Lewis Hamilton that close over a single lap. But just a lot of the time in the race, in a race where he uh, isn't on pole, I don't know, has Bottas ever won a race not from pole? I don't think he has. Um, yeah, he just seems to fall apart and this, he doesn't have the pace or if he gets stuck in traffic like he did today, he doesn't seem to be able to make his way through. And I don't know why, because we've seen him do it, you know, back in his Williams days and now he's got the quickest car out there. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a big wasted opportunity for, for Walter, I'm afraid. Um, yeah, I think any championship hopes that were left have now disintegrated as quickly as that Ferrari break did today on Vettel's car. I, I do want to feel sorry for Valtteri Bottas here, but he's making it very difficult to do so. Um, you know, the, the bad start 
it happens sometimes. You you get bad starts. I can I can accept that. You know, he lost out to Carlos Sainz, who was proven to be one of the very best um, when it comes to race starts this season. But then he drops more positions. Um, he really should have reset after turn one. Um, and, and theoretically, he had a decent line going out of turn one and turn two. So he shouldn't have lost any more positions. But that going wide at the second Lesmo, that was a disastrous uh disastrous moment for him as well as he lost another position and really that you know the, the Mercedes helped him out here because he didn't make any positions on track apart from that Kimi Raikkonen move but in all that melee in the pits he got ahead of Ricardo and he got ahead of Sergio Perez as well um, and it gave him a decent buffer to, to Max Verstappen so he was definitely helped out by the crew in the pits um, and it still didn't matter because once it passed Raikkonen again, he was just stuck behind the car in front. And in that first in, he was more vulnerable to Verstappen than he was looking like he was going to make that move um, to go up a position. So that was certainly worrying. And I know, I know that the Mercedes is not designed for this kind of racing. And I understand why that should be the case. The Mercedes is so quick. They might as well set it up to assume that they're going to be one and two in races because nine times out of 10, that's what happens. So they'd be foolish to do anything else and they just have to take it on the chin that one every 10 times, something like this happens. And up until about halfway through the Grand Prix, I'd certainly had a, uh, a certain sympathy for Bottas because you could see him pulling out of the slipstream in order to cool the car. You could tell that he wasn't happy. The car wasn't happy. Uh, if that had been the rest of the race, we could be sat here saying, well, it just wasn't set up that way. And that's that. The problem is what what Bottas wanted is also not what Bottas wanted, because what Bottas wanted was for Hamilton to run into issues, which he did. The problem is that showed what the Mercedes could do that Bottas wasn't doing. So that kind of outed him in that respect. Hamilton, okay. I mean, the first few overtakes were on the likes of the Williams and the Haas cars, which doesn't prove a great deal because the cars that Bottas was trying to pass were much quicker than that. But Hamilton didn't stop there. Even after taking a lot out of his tyres as a result of getting ahead of those guys, he still had the likes of Sergio Perez to overtake. He had Danny Kvyat to overtake and Esteban Ocon to overtake. And he managed to get past all three. Bear in mind that Bottas couldn't get past Ricardo, who was in the same car as Esteban Ocon, who Hamilton got past. So what Hamilton was able to prove to the world is not in the best interest of Bottas because that kind of just showed, okay, he didn't get the maximum out of that car. Okay, it wasn't perfectly designed to be in the slipstream of others, but Hamilton managed to find a way. Why couldn't he? So disappointing for Bottas. This generally only happens maybe once or twice a season where Hamilton runs into issues either through his own fault or through the team's fault or just bad luck. It happens once or twice a year. And to beat Hamilton across a season, you have to take that opportunity when it comes. He didn't. Simple as that. Going on to maybe another disappointing result was was Alex Albon. If, If you'd have said to him before the race that Verstappen, Bottas and Hamilton, none of those three are going to finish on the podium. But guess what? You're not going to either. It had been pretty disappointed, but that's how it went. And that's how it went today. Uh, P15 overall, there was a five-second penalty in that as well. Sam, what did, what did you make of that? Is, is this really gutting that he's now looking at Pierre Gasly in his old seat and he's got one win and one other podium since Albon's moved and Albon's got nothing? I want to start this by saying, acknowledging that there's been a lot of talk around Albon not having the same parts as Max Verstappen on their car. Uh, it's come out in the last week or so. Now, while that is true, I don't think that that changes the difference in quality of driving that Albon has displayed in comparison to his teammate. Um, Albon, yes, okay, that might show why he's not being as quick as Max, but I still think that that car is more than capable of being um, regularly finishing you know, in the top four every race, which Albon doesn't do on a regular occasion at all. And I think once again, it was proven. You're right. He looks at looks at Gasly, the man that he swapped with. He, he got the big call up to the big team. And I've just read Lewis Hamilton's Instagram post, and he explicitly says, to go from being dropped by Red Bull to then beating the team that you were dropped by, explicitly. Like, those are harsh, harsh words from Lewis Hamilton to say to Red Bull. But well done to be a Gasly. Yeah, that's got to be really, really harsh for Alex Albon. And Alex Albon's been under a lot of stick from both fans, 
uh, from other drivers, such as Lewis Hamilton, and of course the media. The pressure is still there. The pressure is still mounting. And for me, Albon once again shows that he doesn't do enough. I mean, Albon started in what, P10, I believe. And Max didn't exactly stick it in the top two or three like he has done previously, but he was still well in front of that. I just expecting a little bit more. Like the fact that he was able to hold off Hamilton for a few laps shows that that Red Bull didn't have too bad pace. The fact that he's got the same engine in his car that Pierre Gasly has, who wins the race, shows that they've got good straight line speed capabilities. To me, it's a combination of the car not being developed to where it needs to be on his car, but Max's has. So it's an odd one there strategically for Red Bull to not give the same parts. Secondly, I don't think Albon is doing what he needs to do. I'm not going to go into it any further because I talk about it every single bloody week that Albon is not doing enough. But once again, he hasn't done enough and he finished essentially last place, which is uh, pretty pretty demoralising when the guy you swap with is taking the big W. Well, if we take if we take the the actual individuals out of the equation here, and we take Pierre Gasly out of this, and we take Alex Albon out of this, Harry, do you think that Red Bull seriously needs to start asking questions about themselves? Because you know it wasn't working for Gasly at Red Bull. He goes back to AlphaTauri, and it definitely is. Albon does a reasonable job at AlphaTauri. He gets promoted. It's not happening for him. Do you think a lot of the blame here, or at least they need to ask questions, whether the blame is directed at Red Bull? I think I think Rebel do. I think it's becoming it's becoming an issue because they're sending drivers back to their junior team, and you know, and they're performing better. I mean, in Kafiat's case, they sent him back. He did badly, and then he they brought him back again. So, um, yeah, I think just because I think they are just slightly too Verstappen focused, and you know we had it. It's not an unusual thing for them to do. They had it with Vettel, um, and it obviously worked for them back in the day. But I don't know if it's working now. I don't know whether that environment is well. I mean, maybe it, evidently it's not because they've had two young, promising young drivers come up, and Gasly really suffered, and now he's driving so well took the big W as Sam so uh, eloquently said just now um, and now Albon's really struggling so I mean the driver's got to you know deal with it that you know it doesn't matter where you, it's going to be tough whatever team you go into and it's going to be tough going against Max Verstappen but at the same time maybe Red Bull do need to look in the mirror and go are we the problem <laughs> um yeah, it's quite possible, but I think I don't think that is the full excuse for Albon or Gasly not doing well at that team. But um, yeah, I think questions do need to be asked of of the style because I just think Marco Helmut Marco is just scary. <laughs> I think cue that uh, cue that meme um, where a thingy from the poop show turns around and says. Are we oh, the baddies? I was literally going to say the same thing. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, yeah, I I think I agree with your assessment there, Harry. That it, it can't be wholly placed on on either party, and you know, Gasly and Albon themselves can't blame just Red Bull for the situation. But I think at the same time, Red Bull need to need to have a look at this because it, it's too much of a coincidence that both of these drivers and indeed other drivers have have prospered at Toro Rosso. Uh, and Alpha Tauri, and it just hasn't worked when they've gone up to Red Bull. And you know, it, it was very much a case of Red Bull being Vettel dominated um, when he was there, but it worked. You know, Vettel Vettel was was good enough to take advantage of a car that was good enough, which they don't have right now. Um, and Weber was good enough to support in that second driver role. Uh, and I think Red Bull did have that in Daniel Ricciardo. I think Daniel Ricciardo was good enough to overcome any preferential treatment that was going to another driver. Um, but they just didn't have the car at the time they had that partnership. And it, it might just be the case that, that Albon and Gasly need more support that, than, is what, than what has been given to them. But I think there is a definite case to say that they need to need to look in the mirror, at least, and work out what's going on here. In terms of Albon's performance out there today, uh, I think you've got pretty unlucky on that first corner um, where he had to uh, he had to go past turn one. He, did, he didn't do turn one because of what happened with Pierre Gasly. Um, I don't think I, I think these, the stewards assessed that correctly. There was nothing either driver could really do there. Um, and then he gets hit with that penalty due to the incident with Roman Grosjean. Uh, that was a bit sloppy. 
Um, but yeah, Albon went. If we just take that second half of the race in isolation, he should be able to make moves. You know, maybe he doesn't make enough moves to get back into the points. You know, Hamilton was able to do that, but you know that Mercedes is better than the Red Bull. So I'm not saying that Albon should have followed Hamilton through the field, but he should have been good enough to make some positions. No doubt about that. Yeah, ahead of Albon was the the Williams of Russell. The, the Alfa Romeo of Raikkonen, uh, the Haas of Grosjean, and then the Williams of Latifi. And he couldn't overtake any of those four drivers. He's got to make those moves. Like It's not like he was trying to overtake a McLaren or a Renault. He was trying to overtake cars that are the worst on the grid in what should be the second best car on the grid, even if that isn't the case at Monza specifically. He had to make moves, and he didn't. Um, and it was disappointing that he couldn't. Um, and Hamilton, who overtook Albon for that penultimate position, ended up 20 seconds and eight positions ahead. The progress made from Hamilton was always going to be better than the progress made by Albon, but it shouldn't have been that large. Definitely shouldn't have been that large. Going on to our final segment of the day, so the first of three Italian Grand Prix, I guess you could say, this weekend for... Uh, for Ferrari. I'm sure this would definitely be the year that they would pick to have three home races. Um, <laughs> they both retired. <laughs> that's such, I, I just said that and thought, oh god, that's so bad. They've got to do this twice more, yeah? Um, so after what was a dismal performance at Spa, neither car was able to get into the top 10 in qualifying the first time that happened since the mid-80s at their home race. Uh, and the race was somehow even worse. Both cars retired. Vettel suffering from brake issues that saw him go straight through the polystyrene just past turn one. Uh, Leclerc's race ending even more spectacularly. An error from him into Parabolica saw him go straight into the barrier. No points, two retirements, pure embarrassment. And in all of this, during the week, Bonotto was given reassurance by Ferrari CEO that he has got time in his position. So... Based on these results, Harry, do you think that Bonotto has been given this backing incorrectly? I am of the opinion that you shouldn't just fire bosses for a bad streak. And there's no denying that this is a truly, truly awful streak. Um, (laughs) This is a tough tie. It's not just bad. It's really bad. Um, But... and. Brundle and Button, the two Bs, spoke to Braun, <laughs> the three Bs, on the on the grid. And he made an interesting comment about how they don't need to be distracted and and how I think some stability is probably the way forward. And, you know, he was there in the days when Jean Tot took over and the results weren't there and they didn't get rid of him. And, you know, what if they had got rid of him? Who, who'd have known what would have happened? So I think, yeah. I don't, you know, Bonotto shouldn't just relax and be like, oh, it's fine, you know, my job's safe. But uh, at the same time, I don't think they should get rid of him straight away because Ferrari have done that a lot over the past couple of years. They got rid of Domenicali when I don't think they should have done. They, well, what was the guy in between? I don't know, the guy from Fiat. I can't remember his name anymore. Before, um, <laughs> before Arriva Bene, they got rid Macchione. of Arriva Bene. Pardon? Yeah, Macchione. Yes, him. Um, yeah, and then they got rid of a Reeve Bennett. So I think they do just need some stability. This is only Bonotto's second year in charge. Um, you know, last year they had a few wins. It wasn't a championship challenging car. This year is is it's a complete poo box of a car. Um, but yeah, I just I don't think I don't think it will help their situation by bringing bringing in another person to to run that team. So um, yep, yeah, it, it's going to take time. But I think that stability is is key. Otherwise, then uh, you know, and if it doesn't happen further down the line, then they maybe they do have to reconsider who's in charge. But for now, I think Bonotto is safe. What do you reckon, Sam? Well, the buck does stop with the boss, right? But I am inclined to agree with Mister Reed when you say you shouldn't just be dispatching team bosses. For having a bad run. I mean, let, let's weigh up the year so far because I think there are equal number of positives and negatives, and not all of these lie directly on the shoulders of Bonotto. Um, the handling of the vessel situation, for example, terrible. 
literally one of the worst driver negotiations and managements that we've seen for a long, long time. That, I believe, solely is with Bengoso. He is in charge of that lineup. He messed that up big time. That was not the correct way to do it. And that immediately puts a negative spin on the attitude towards Ferrari for the season going forward. But Leclerc has two podiums this season. And a car that we've seen is terrible. Bloody terrible. They, you know, that car is as good as the Alfa Romeo. It's as good as the, you know, um, the Renault. It's not worse. Uh, it's, you know, it's racing along with the Williams team. The Haas guys are sometimes in front of them. It's got two podiums. So, you know, there's got to be some positives to take away there. That's really good. And then you come into a race like Monza where, yeah, the car is bad. And they were clearly running an illegal engine last time out in terms of last season. And so they're having to run with a less power, which, again, is tough. And the car design isn't really up to him. He's not their lead designer, but he does employ that person. And then one car goes out with a brake failure, which... Can happen to any team, remember. That is not a Bonotto problem. That is not a one person at the team's fault. That's your brakes failing. That sucks, but that's, that happens. That does happen to any car at any given moment. You know, anyone can have that. From Hamilton all the way down to Latifi, anyone can have a brake failure. We've seen it happen to Grosjean 83 times in the last four weeks. <laughs> um, <laughs> and on the other side of things, Leclerc just dropped it. That was entirely on Charles Leclerc. The man that's won two races, the man that Ferrari are placing their hopes and dreams into, just dropped it. That was a rookie mistake from Charles Leclerc. Binned it right into the wall under his own doing without any mistake. Yeah, he, and he wore the tyres down faster than anyone else. Again, that's on him. It's entirely on him. So I don't think this result is down to Bonotto at all. I think stability is good. I think if Ferrari need to rebuild, they need to do what Mercedes are doing. They need to do what Red Bull have always done and stick with someone at the top. You know, Christian Horner hasn't exactly been successful over the last few years. Look how that's going. He's been there for God knows how long now. When was the last time he won a championship? Oh, wait, when Vettel was last there. So they haven't fired him, and that team is consistently fighting at the top. Um, so I think it's the right choice to keep Bonotto, keep him for at least maybe until the end of the current era and see who they are. You might have some great ideas going into the new uh, 2022 regs now it is. Um, you never know. But for me, it would be silly to get another two races in. I've got a couple of bad results and go, oh, move on, on to the next one. The waste paper being over there filled with Ferrari-coloured bits of paper with each of their names on it. It would just be a bit silly. So I think it's the right call. Bogotto is clearly a very intelligent man and he can be very good at his job. Let's see where it goes. There should always be a a goal to every decision. that That's relating to firings, hirings, strategic decisions, everything. You know, if your if your goal is to get ahead of the car in front, the decision might be to undercut them. You know, there should always be a very clear path as to what you want to achieve and how you plan to achieve it. So if the goal at Ferrari is to get themselves out of this hole in terms of performance, the decision should not be to fire Bonotto because that's not going to achieve the goal. It, it doesn't matter what you do with that role right now. It doesn't matter if you bring Jean Top back to be in that role. It doesn't matter if you put Kermit the Frog in that role. It doesn't matter. They're not going to improve or improve that much. If they are stuck with a bad car and that will probably be the case next year as well. There's not going to be a great deal they can do about it. So if your goal is to improve that performance, there's no point in firing Bonotto because the results will be pretty much identical. Whether Bonotto should be in that role or not should be dependent on a few things. First of all, he should they need to work out does he under has he identified what the issues are? And that's issues plural, because Ferrari have got a number of issues. Has he identified those? And secondly, does he know how to sort them out? Because if he if he ticks both of those boxes, then he should stay. If he doesn't tick those two boxes, he should go. Because Ferrari Right now, it'd be very easy for Ferrari to say that they have got a power unit that is not on par with the other three out there, which is true, but it's very easy to fall into the trap that that is the only problem with the team, which is a long, long way from the truth. And if Bonotto thinks right now, once we get a power unit back, we'll be absolutely fine. If that's his line of thinking, he should go and he should be gone tomorrow because that is not the case. Even if that power unit does recover to what it once was, they will still be in a position where they are strategically poor compared to Red Bull and Mercedes. So 
he needs to understand that there are personnel changes that need to happen within the team. He needs to understand that the reliability needs to improve the communication between the drivers and the strategists during the race. That needs to improve. There are a number of areas where Ferrari need to be better. If he is able to identify those and he has got a plan for how to fix that, regardless of whether that will happen now or in a year's time, that's absolutely fine. If he doesn't understand the problems, he needs to go. You look at Arriva Bene, you know, he, I, I understand, I understand why they got rid of him. Ferrari were close to winning that championship, but they couldn't quite get there. Their goal was to topple Mercedes, and they believed that the decision to get there was to replace Arriva Bene. And, you know, I can at least understand the logic there if they believe that Bonotto was the last piece of the puzzle. Here, if they're just looking to improve performances, there's no worth in getting rid of Bonotto. The only worth in getting rid of him is if he doesn't understand long-term strategy, because that's where the focus needs to be. Ooh, good dissection, lads. Uh, good news, Ferrari fans. It's Mugello up next. Another home Grand Prix. Can't wait. <laughs> oh, hold on, is that literally next week as well? Oh, yeah. Pain, oh God, I love it. I, I, I mean, sorry, Ferrari. I love it. Bring, come on, <laughs> another race weekend. Yes, bring them on. This is this season, despite all the horror that a pandemic has brought on, has just been so exciting and so brilliant and great to watch. And I'm so glad we get this many races. So, yeah, keep it coming. Keep it coming, indeed. Um, I think we'll leave it there for our Italian Grand Prix review. Pierre Gasly, a first Grand Prix victory for him after what was an epic Grand Prix. Sam, if you wouldn't mind getting us out of here. Well, folks, if you've enjoyed the uh, the review, if you've enjoyed the Grand Prix, if you've enjoyed the silliness that we brought you, all the drama that's happened today, please think about you know subscribing to the podcast on Spotify wherever you listen. Download it, share it, it's really helpful. Come and comment and chat to us on late, at Late Breaking, at L Breaking on Twitter or on YouTube. Uh, it'd be great to have you. Think about joining the rest of the uh, the areas as well. We love having you along. And of course, we will be bringing you a preview and a review of Bugello, where Ferrari will cry pure penne. Uh, but in the meantime, I've been Samuel Sage. I've been Ben Hawking. And I've been Harry Eade. And remember, keep breaking late. Podcast Network.